Thank you, Lord, for these good gifts and for all other gifts that have been given in different ways. May they be used uh, for your work and stewarded well uh, to bring glory to you. I pray for Andy as he comes to speak to us tonight, Lord. May you open our ears and our hearts and uh, by your Holy Spirit uh, help him to open the scriptures to us. Amen. Good evening. Are we on? Please take a seat. This is um, my first sermon and in preparing to preach I, uh, I was praying and speaking to God about it um, and I said, you know, Father, I am a 30-year-old police officer who um, is willing to go wherever you want me to go. My background is to sit with a group of guys and brief, um, kind of brief the troops before they go out and do what they are to do. And the reply came back, is this so different? Uh, last Sunday, Alan preached on salvation, uh, Isaiah 62, and how we are to be saved, um, and how we are saved, definitely. Um, he added a book with a, a really interesting story behind it, which I won't open up now. Um, so here is the book, but it's not all bad news. Let's talk about sin and salvation and Isaiah 63. Um, I'm going to start you off with an example. After a 12-hour shift, I stood at the door to the police station. This is coming from personal experience, you might have been able to tell already. Let little Johnny out of the building for the fourth time this week. And at 15 years old, little Johnny's now been summoned for his 29th count of theft from shops, with his next court appearance due in 10 days. As Johnny walks off to go home, he turns around and looks at me with an expression that says, See you next time. In my heart, I really hope not. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the human condition of sin. Isaiah 63, um, we open it up, and it's a phrase which you've probably heard before, but every sin that you've ever committed has a price, and the wages for sin are, help me out here, wake up, <laughs> death, amen, hallelujah, we're there. So we start our sermon today by realising that there is a price to be paid. That's not too difficult a concept to understand, really. Um, there's a consequence for our sins. It's a concept that's been preserved in law and morality alike. But there is a problem. I cannot redeem myself. Who's got um, New Year's resolutions planned? That's brave for putting your hand up. Anybody brave enough to shout any out? No, I didn't think so. Um, anybody got a New Year's resolution to sin less? What you have now? We've got a God that's got our answer to our problem. And Isaiah, in chapter 63, uh, starts by reminding us that God alone acted for our salvation. Um, so if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, let's go to Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this who comes from Eden, from the city of Bosra, with his clothing stained red? Who is this in royal robes marching in the greatness of his strength? 
Edom was an enemy of Israel, and Isaiah was talking from around about the time, from what I could tell, 600 to 700 BC, or circa that period. And in Isaiah 62, the chapter before, we see that Jerusalem has put watchmen on the walls. Um, And into 63, we look that the watchmen on the walls are seeing this figure approaching. For those of you that want to go uh, deeper and have a look in your own time, um, Edom is the name that was actually given to Esau. um, And that is where his descendants, and that is who occupied that land. Um, Again, look into that. But you will, I only have 20 minutes now. It is I, the Lord, announcing your salvation. It is I, the Lord, who is mighty to save. And that's the relief that I felt when Alan was preaching last week, that we are definitely saved when we go around the daisy of, um, am I saved, am I not? Well, you are. Um, What was interesting to me as I unpacked this passage was the image which has been given out. Now, this might relate to a specific period in history, um, and this may be related to specific battles that may have been going on or different experiences, but reading this passage, um, I think we're right to assume this is a picture of our Messiah, of God. Um, Verse 2, why are your clothes so red? As if you've been out treading the grapes. Now, the Bible often uh, uses the analogy of... uh, wine um, to symbolise blood and there's something to be drawn in that I have trodden the wine press alone, nobody was there to help me, in my anger I've trampled the enemies as if they were grapes in my anger, that's a very different image of God to what I'm used to until I stood up here about three minutes ago, my predominant role within church life has been a worship leader and we sing about God is love uh, God is kindness and all the nice parts of God Here I am reading about my God who is angry. And we go on to look, I have in my fury trampled my foes. It is their blood that stains my clothes. What I say is that God acted alone for our salvation. Um, And God acts in our lives today. Um, As I dug deeper into the passage and did the research around it, Um, I ended up at Exodus 7, verse 4. Um, If you want to turn to it, do it, but you'll be flicking backward and forward, so I'll read out. Even Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so I will crush Egypt with a series of disasters, after which I will lead the people of Israel out with great acts of judgment. We'll go on later in the Bible to John 12, 21. The time of judgment for the world has come. Well, isn't that good news? That our God is the same yesterday, today and forever. Our same God who acted for our salvation and will act for us today is the same yesterday, today and forever and will act for you. Which is good news really. I don't know if you've ever seen a guilty person trying to defend himself. Um, I've seen it a few times and invariably the common denominator is that they do a really poor job of it. Um, which has usually been to my benefit to get the result I was after how that's now been turned on its head usually you see people stand up and we can sometimes give a monologue about our human rights and about our freedoms and about what we're entitled to do and why we can excuse sin and why we can excuse what we've done Um, but Isaiah in these passages 
sets it very firm that God acted alone for our salvation. Isaiah describes in verse 5, if you're following in your Bibles, that God was a Paul that nobody could act for us. Now, that word to me is usually something that I conjure up is what God would think of my sins. Um, Appalled, in this sense, I think can be interpreted slightly differently. God looked down probably with immense sorrow. God looked down with immense distress at the fact that we cannot stand for ourselves. We cannot defend ourselves. So I executed vengeance alone, unaided, and passed down judgment, Christian nations, to the ground for our victory. What do we do um, when we realise the message of salvation that we have? Well, from personal experience, when I realised that truth, and I realised that... um, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, as it is in the chapters of Romans, which Ben and I looked into at great depth at team on Wednesday, that seemed to be getting a lot of airtime in the evening sermons, but good for team. Um, Romans 6, 7 and 8, that upon receiving that message of salvation, upon receiving that gift that's given through grace, we're given a down payment of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. A first fruit, it describes it as a a foretaste of, of what is to come that we can be assured that God is with us and that God is active for us. So we rejoice. And it goes on in verse 7, say, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love and I will praise the Lord for all he has done. Rejoice in his great goodness to Israel. Verse 7 to 14, show that people praise God for what he's done for them now. And as we interpret it and we look at what this means for us, we, we praise God and we thank him for what he's done for us. And we sing songs and we come to church and in our lives we try and live out that praise. Um, at this point is when we turn back to sin. And we'll have a look at that for a minute. What should be said first is that in verse 8 God shows his heart for us. If you follow in, it says, he said, they are my very own people. Surely they will not be false again. It's God's heart for us that we don't fall into the trap of sin. Now we do. We know we do. If I sit here and say that I haven't, then I'm a liar. Um, but what do we do? Um, in Exodus, we uh, read about Pharaoh. I think that was Exodus 7. It only takes us till Exodus 32 until we're building the golden calf. And after I pray my prayer of forgiveness on a Sunday and give my worship... I reckon I'll probably get to about pillar two before my mind wanders. I reckon I might get to Monday before I recognise that I've thrown a sin out. Thanks for that, son. It's confirming that. It was Tuesday, was it? Thanks. (laughs) Verse 10. But they rebelled against him, and the Holy Spirit grieved. Now I sat and I was reading this passage, and I was, "What what is that saying? What are we getting into here? They rebelled against him and his Holy Spirit grieved. We fall back into sin. Invariably, we are living in a world that is fallen from the beginning. Although God is active for our salvation, we will continue to sin. So what is the difference? The Holy Spirit grieved. Well, if I accept that message of salvation and the Holy Spirit lives in me, I suppose it's only natural that when I sin and let other things into my heart, that 
the Holy Spirit would grieve. That is his place in me. He is my satnav, and when I sin, invariably the voice of the Holy Spirit comes up as my satnav. Make a U-turn where possible. Turn around, come back. So what do we do after sins cause the barrier? The same thing that we've always done, and we try to pass the book. Since the very beginning, whether it be metaphor or a true story, Adam and Eve, um, after, yeah, even after God came into the garden and found them, um, he found Adam, 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 where are you? And he appears, what have you done? What did he do? It was the woman. She gave the fruit to me. You know, let me move on to Eve. Eve, what have you done? It was a serpent. Well, he had nowhere to go. He was end of the line. Um, and when we get into Revelation, you can dig out exactly um, what the end of the line will mean there. But I counted in this passage the amount of times um, that we questioned God after sinning. It was around about ten. All the questions that we've got. Then in they remembered in those days of old when Moses led his people out of Egypt and they cried out, where is the one who brought us to Israel through the sea with Moses as their shepherd? It's um, a common denominator to try and pass the book amongst those of us who are guilty. I've had the great privilege of sitting in many, many interviews and there is a turning point at which somebody's guilt might become apparent and then the question's come out, the blame starts to be passed Um, and that is the pattern that follows but verses 15 to 19 as we move down to towards the end um, is a harrowing reality Lord look down from heaven and see us from your holy and glorious home, God will always be God there is a responsibility for our sin and that lies Firmly with us, although we are saved, and I don't think that you can sin your way out of salvation. I know that because I've questioned Alan a lot on it in the last week, and he helped me find the result and find the uh, reasoning behind that so that we can say that clearly today. I had an old youth worker, however, who used to tell me whenever I sinned, Jesus got another lash. Well, that's not true, theologically or reality. But she, uh, she did have a good point. But we receive the gift of salvation by grace. From a God who acted alone for our salvation, who crushed, crushed our enemies. That is the nature of God. A God and a side to God that we don't often look into. But a reassuring part of it, that as I go throughout my life, I have a God who's not just about trying to let sin pass in a passive way. Whatever enemies I have or have had, he has crushed and he has defeated. And as we look at the issue of sin, what are we to say? The desire to sin will always be there. This will be a world which is fallen to sin until Jesus comes again. But we have a decision not to sin. And that Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and that dwells in our hearts can guide us and help us to make that decision that we are not to sin. So that we can grow more in the likeness of God, which is what we want to do. We can grow in the likeness of God, we can change. 
I never thought I'd be stood preaching. Maybe neither did Alan, really. Isn't it true that after we sin, it feels like we've taken all of our progress and thrown it out the window? But again, we have that reassuring message. There's a question that I asked throughout the week um, about what the reality of the effect of sin is in our life. And we came to this conclusion. Our sin clouds our view of God and places a barrier between us and him. It isn't fine to say that because we are saved, we can carry on sinning. We've got into conversation about the perseverance of the saints, if you wanted to go and look into it further. An idea that once we're saved, we'll always be saved. That's great and reassuring. I know personally, sometimes I come to church and I want to hear a preacher offer an excuse for the sin that I've committed. Or a justification for it. Or come out with a doctrine that reassures me. Um, But the truth is that if if we are truly saved and the Holy Spirit lives within us, we won't want to sin. I'm going to leave you with, just to finish, if we look at verse 17 together. Lord, why have you allowed us to turn from your path? Why have you given us stubborn hearts so we no longer fear you? Return and help us, for we are your servants and your special possession. How great is that? That we are God's special possession. That he would act alone for our salvation because he was appalled that nobody else could act for us. That we couldn't stand on our own. That we couldn't act for our own redemption. So we shouldn't want to sin and we'll try our best not to. And when we do, we'll be forgiven. And I reckon that's probably a learning process that will take a lifetime. Do you agree? Um, I'm going to ask Ben to come back up for the next part of our service, but we're just going to uh, finish with a prayer. Father, thank you that you acted alone for us because there is no one else who can act. And I keep saying it over and over because it is true and it's a great truth. Help us to rejoice and worship because of the salvation that you've given us. And know that you've given us a down payment of the Holy Spirit that lives within us as an assurance that we belong to you. And reinforce when we come to that precipice of sin and whatever we're going to do in the next week. Strengthen us to make that decision not to, so that we can grow in the likeness of you. Amen.